This podcast series has been brought to you by Tesco in partnership with the Camogie Association. Tesco, every little helps. This week we discuss some topical issues, player pathways, talent academies and how to avoid burnout. It's a pleasure to welcome Arla Curran, a PhD student in DCU and athletic development coach with the IRFU. Arla chats about what talent academy pathways are in relation to high achievers, but also how these look with a participation focus. We talk about the role of coaches in keeping players on the pathway and avoiding player burnout, and we touch on the gender gap in the research regarding player pathways. As always, you can subscribe to the Coaching Bubble podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, and you can keep up to date with all things to do with the pod on social media at Bubble Coaching. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much for joining us, Orla. A pleasure to have you on again. Uh, so we're talking about talent development and player pathways today. So maybe for a start, what is a talent development pathway and why is it so important? Yeah, I mean, it probably, well, it looks the same probably in every sport, but then also looks different in every sport. Um, your talent development pathway is generally the route that athletes are going to take from, you know, young participation level all the way through to a performance level and then trying to get up that ladder towards senior so if, if you're involved in an international organization, it's trying to get young kids playing at international level young and then keeping them within that pathway to then represent their country at, you know, the highest level, at senior level. Um, then in, in non-international sports or, or in a setting where it's not an international scene, it's trying to get kids involved from a youth age and then keeping them right the way through the pathway from under sixes, under sevens, all the way up to stay playing and keep participating at adult level. So if you look at it from a talent development perspective, it's trying to compete at the highest level at that elite status. Um, but if you look at it from a participation level, it's just trying to keep keep people involved, keep them playing, keep everybody active. Um, so there's probably two strands of it. There's the elite side of it for the talent end, and then there's the participation side of it for involvement end. Um, and I guess it's important because um, yes, some, some athletes get to the top by chance and things work out. Um, but then there's a lot of organizations that if, if you don't put the effort in or if you don't put the, the resources in, potentially you have athletes that fall away or that don't get recognized or that potentially without the help wouldn't make it to the top. Um, so it's being able to, to cultivate a culture um, and a pathway that they can follow to get them up to that elite level. Okay. So the elite level stuff. I, I totally get it. You're you're trying to put in the structures in place to get them. So I suppose those, um, those steps to get them to the top. So, just can we go into a little bit more detail there, and we'll come back to the participation participation side of it in a, in a minute. But are we talking? Are you talking like small steps and gradual steps for people to eventually get to, let's say, from under thirteen to fifteens to minor to adult to to use like GAA as an example? But is that what you're talking about? Gradual steps and the supports that are needed around that? Or are you talking about here's our starting point, here's our finish point? Or, or how does the middle look, if that makes sense to you? Yeah, so if you look at a GAA example, every every county is essentially going to have their own. And they're all going to look different because there's the the broad picture of what a talent development system looks like. But what happens in... Kilkenny is probably going to be very different to what happens in Donegal and what happens in Galway because it all depends on their a their resources but then also what their other competitions are like around there so what what demands they have on kids um, and that's going to have 
an effect then on what their their pathway and what their talent development environment even looks like. Um, so it's very specific to the organization. It's very specific to the sport. Um, and it has to be embedded within that sports culture and within that organization's culture, for want of a better word. If an organization doesn't want to put the time and effort into it, there's not really going to be a pathway or, or a talent development system existing, if that makes sense. But yes, the whole aim is if we're trying to get kids to bridge the gap from junior participation to senior or sorry, junior performance to senior performance, you have to put in the right steps to gradually get them there. So you're you're looking at your your game specifics around your tactics, you know, the technical aspects of the game, what a minor player is able to do isn't necessarily going to be reflected in a 13 year old. So being able to get them uh, to understand the specifics of the techniques, the tactics, all that as they go up through the age groups, but then also physically preparing them. So physically preparing them for the demands of the game, because if you have a 14 year old absolute superstar and you throw him into a minor game, doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be able to withstand the demands of that game, even though he could be technically proficient at it. So there's that element of it. And then you have the maturity end as well, where yeah, you might have a superstar that's 14 years of age um, and maybe he is quite physical, but he might not have the maturity to withstand the environment of a minor team. So it's being able to understand that aspect of it as well and when to progress that 14-year-old on to under 16s, on to minors and so on. Um, and being able to look at that whole holistic path and all every, every part of the environment that needs to be developed so that you get this mature, physical, technically proficient player by the time they get to senior level. And they're playing within this, the strands or within the demands that the senior team is playing. And it's not new by the time they get there. No, no, it makes perfect sense. And so, like it, when you were just saying to me there now, an example sprung to my, my mind as in the, the, I'm sure I did it as a young coach myself, as in you're looking after a youth team and, and um, the big fella is in midfield and the other big fella's full back and the other big fella's full forward and, and the small nippy guy is the corner forwards and stuff like that. But uh, am I as a coach doing them a disservice or or making a mistake by playing them in the sort of the central positions all the time? Is that going to like catch up, come up and bite them then when they when the other guys mature physically as well? Yeah, like I think, I mean, it's a hard one to answer because it, it, it depends on the individual as well. I mean, they might be somebody who's well able to control that position and they're well suited to that position, which is absolutely fine. But it's not just looking at the player and putting them there because they're the biggest guy on the team. Yes, you might have somebody that maybe isn't a great mover and they're better off to be in the full forward line and and being in front of goal because they have that stature and whatnot. But then putting the time and effort into helping them to become more athletic, to be able to move better, to then be able to use their skills out the field a bit more. But if you're just going to plonk them in at under 14s at full forward and hope that they stay there and flourish where yeah you potentially are doing them a disservice if you're not putting the time and effort into developing every other area yes they've accelerated on the physical side but are you giving them the chance to develop and everything else so it's that idea and that's that's where when an organization comes or develops their their player pathway or their talent development system it's making sure all those strands are looked after but educating the coaches on it as well so a lot of these a lot of these pathways are really colorful and they look great and they sit in a poster on a wall and no coach ever sees it or they're not told how to use it or what it means or why and that that has a huge impact then on actually what happens on the ground yeah no i I totally get it and and 
a victim to it myself or have done up lovely plans and etc for coaches and uh, and then not utilize it or not shared it properly or not exactly what you said think that it's a lovely big colorful document and and that's it but if people don't understand it or don't know how to use it what's the point you talked about the uh, the participation side earlier right so the you've explained the elite side really well and how people can get that sort of uh, the journey through that developmental pathway so from a, a participation side of things how does that player pathway look in terms of just obviously you just want to retain as many players as you possibly can and i suppose why i'm asking that is we we hear so much about teenage drop-off in sport so i'm just trying to i'm I'm trying to curious about what's out there as in how we how people listening could potentially implement it in their own clubs teams etc yeah and like it's not an easy solution because obviously i mean i come from the elite side and a lot of my research is in the elite side and it's trying to keep those potential talents within the the pathway and getting them all the way to senior level. And so if I'm on that elite side trying to help them get there, a lot of my time and effort and conversations about those players are giving them the right resources at each in, at each um, environment that they sit in. So be that club, school, county, whatever it is. But then for them to be able to get the right coaching and for them to be able to get the right resources we also have to bear in mind that those coaches at those levels have to deal with those players that are potentially on an elite path but then also those players that aren't on an elite path right so you're giving coaches all this information of how to get the the talented youths to where they need to go but we have to remember that they have this pot of players and there's potentially 50% of them that have absolutely no interest in getting to that stage but we still need to keep them involved in sport we still need to keep them active and like that we end up getting a lot of dropout when we make it too focused on the elite side of it. And so that's why in my head, the pathway should involve two strands where you've got to get kids just to stay in play. Um, and then there's obviously the side where, yeah, if you're, if you're talented, you can push on and we try and nourish that and, and encourage you to go there. But it's getting coaches at the grassroots level to be able to balance the two, knowing who you can push, who you can't, and then being able to design sessions around that. So, being able to bring intensity into sessions at the right time, at the right uh, stage of the week or stage of the year, but then push the ones that you know want to push on and just encourage the others that you just need to stay and play and want to keep active, to just stay and play and keep active and not have the same pressures on them. So it's coaches being able to, I guess, understand the group they're working with and know who to push in what direction. And sometimes, like, it's hard as well because sometimes at under 12s, you can kind of see see who's where, but by the time they get to under 14s, under 16s, if they're still playing, sometimes that can flip and they can kind of decide, oh, actually, I'm, I'm getting on really well at this. I've got now this greater desire to be able to want to push on. And the fact that you haven't probably pushed them too far at under 12s, they've decided to stay, then, okay, now I can put a bit more effort into them. And maybe they'll be one of my stars on my club team or whatever it is in time to come. So if if the pressure had been put on four years previously, you potentially might lose them as a player. And we all know like between 12 to 14 is really that age where kids are really making up their mind that they either don't want to play anymore or they do and they want to push on. So if we can just try keep them in it, then who knows what they're going to be like in three and four years time. Yeah, no, it's 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 really interesting that you say that about the, 
the kid at under 12 that may, mightn't look like they're going anywhere near that elite pathway and then in two or three years time that they're the person who's pushing or, or knocking on the door because I think sometimes we fall into that trap of well our best players at under 12 are going to be our best players continuously I remember going to uh, listen to a talk um I think it was Belgian soccer and they talked about um, they, they sort of had two development pathways in terms of one for the physically mature and then one for the those who hadn't matured physically quite yet and that they, they sort of ran them in parallel and and, and in, in the end they, they they sort of blended the best of both together and they ended up with this the, uh, like a, a really, really good team in the end of it, you know? Yeah, and you get those kids sometimes that aren't so physically mature but have the desire, they have the love, they want it but they're not physically mature. So by the time they get that physical maturity, they also have that mental maturity because of having to work that bit harder all the way through. So you get this well-rounded player by that stage. You also get the player then that's potentially developing, like physically developing along with everybody else, but also doesn't really have the mental capacity, doesn't really want it, but is staying and is enjoying it. You have to be able to cater to both of those. So you have both two elements of one kid that's, not physically mature, but really, really wants it. And then the kid that's not physically mature, but really doesn't care either. But potentially in three or four years' time, they might realise, oh, hey, so-and-so beside me is doing really well. I'm, I'm probably doing as well as them. Actually, I want this now like they do. So it's to be able to cater to all elements. And it's hard. It's hard as a grassroots coach to understand, to do that. And it's where then we kind of need, I feel, a lot of coach education in these areas so that coaches can be aware just to understand what you're trying to cater to and making sure that you're giving some effort to all sides of it. Yeah, it's it's yeah, like it's it's a tricky problem. It's a tricky one as a coach because again, you're tr- might be looking after 20, 30 young boys or young girls or whatever it may be, and as you say, their priorities at one at one level their priorities are a b and c but then two years later they could be totally different and and you as a coach have to be open to that and and, and be able to change that i like the point you said earlier about you have to know and understand your your players because i think that feeds into so much coaching that we do regardless yeah i mean you could you could be lucky and have a group of under 14s where every single one of them absolutely love what they're doing they love to play and they just want to win and that's brilliant but you might also have a group that they're just down for the chat and they just want to chat to their friends and kick a ball around or puck a ball around. You just have to know when to when to go hard on them and when not to. And it's hard, and you you just have to spend time with the players, and you have to get to know them, and you know who you know what ways each of them take and, and what way you need to coach them. It is a fine art, I think, but spending time with players and getting to know them, I think, is absolutely key. And then obviously understanding your background around. Okay, I understand what I need to get out of them technically. I understand what I need to get out of them tactically. I understand where we're at physically and and how far I can push them. And then it's that social maturity aspect then is what you have to play into with your coaching skills. Yeah, and that's probably the the hardest part of coaching in terms of knowing your tactics or your drills to work on skills and stuff like that is the nearly the easy bit. And then those softer skills are the, are the hard bit. Um, so you've explained it really, really well, what uh, the importance of a, of, a, of, a, of a good pathway and, and how it potentially should look. How does that work in practice? I know your, some of your research talks looks at that, that sort of is it coherent across the timeline. So so how does that look in practice? Is it coherent? Are the best pathways all uh, at all different stages working towards the same goal, talking to each other, 
Is it disjointed or is it a bit of both? Yeah, like a lot of the research that's out there points to the best talent development pathways or talent development environments is where you do have this coherence and you have a lot of joint up thinking. You have a lot of communication happening between different coaches. So even if you look at it from a GA perspective where every county has, you know, you've got your development squads, or your academies, and the kids that are involved in those academies are most likely playing club and school, football hurling, whatever it is. And if they're a very good player, they're probably playing in two age groups, especially if they're from quite rural areas where they're trying to fill numbers on an under 16s and an under 18s or an under 14s, under 16s, whatever it is. So coaches then need to understand all elements that that kid is involved in or every kid that they work with, what they're involved in. So if I'm a coach of a club under 14s team, or maybe I'm a coach of the school junior team, um, I need to recognize and understand that maybe three or four of my players are also playing club age group and the age group up, but then they're also involved in these squads, development squads as well. So I want to get the most out of them, of course, but the other three or four coaches they're working with want to get the most out of them. And the whole idea of coherence is where the coaches have a mutual understanding of what the players are doing across across these different um, environments. And it's getting the coaches to communicate and have some kind of leeway on who, who's got the priority right now. So is it squads? Is it school? Is it club? And that's, it's, in, it's in that environment then that that kid can be really pushed. But then I'll know at club when he comes down to me, I can pull back a little bit. Um, I know he's after having some good training sessions in the school environment. I can pull back a little bit. I'll keep him involved. Let's work on his uh, technique, on his skills, that type of thing, because he's been pushed physically in school. Um, and one day a week, maybe he's been pushed physically in squads. Great. If I have coaches that are doing, you know, absolutely pushing these kids all the time, and they're maybe training twice a day for four or five days in the week, you get to a stage where A, they either become injured they can't recover properly. Um, and that's where you start to get into the elements of burnout that, you know, we had mentioned previously or before we started. And that's the last thing you want is a kid getting into that stream. So the whole idea of singing off the same hymn sheet or the research that we're doing and how talent development environments need to be coherent or they need to have communication is so that everybody understands what's happening in each strand. Because kids are involved in so much. Um, it's it's knowing what they're getting from each one and getting an agreement of when is the priority for school? When is the priority for club? When is the priority for, you know, county or squads or whatever it is? Yes, they might be involved in all of them all year long. And maybe we can't have, you know, an influence on that, but we can definitely influence how we're coaching them throughout the year. So it's, it's having that almost that pendulum, but it doesn't come without the communication. Yeah. So in a perfect world, Arla, um, like, a, a young girl is playing let's say under 14 under 15 uh, and she's very talented and she's on a, multiple different squads and and sports etc in a perfect world all those coaches would be talking and making sure that everything they're doing is aligned around the coaching of that young girl uh, and that the physical load the mental load all that sort of stuff is not too much but i'm guessing that doesn't happen too often no definitely not and like yeah in a perfect world that's what happens and then you also have to remember that if I'm the club coach and I have a group of under 16 club players and 
I have some of them involved in this school and some in this school and some in this school. So I'm dealing with three or four different school coaches. And then I've got them involved, some involved in under 16 and some involved in maybe under 14 squads. So I get, I get it that it's, it's a massive spider web, but it just takes potentially one coach. Maybe it's the, at the top level, maybe it's at the county level to open up those lines of communication, you know, sending an email or sending an update to all coaches um, that are involved with all their players of this is what we're doing. This is what we're focusing on. It would be great if at your clubs and schools that you focus on these as well. Um, and then having an ownership around, we know that this is prime time for school camogie. So that's taken priority. Girls can still go to club training, but let's keep it light. Let's work on their touch. Let's work on their skills. And it's not going to be a heavy session. It's 40 minutes. You get the contact time with them. They get to see girls that, they probably wouldn't see at school because they're all in different schools, for example. Um, then maybe school camogie stops, it finishes, and right, clubs, now you can go for it. Um, knowing that they're probably still involved in squads or they're still involved in, in county stuff as well. So it's it's takes one coach and, and like probably at the top of the pyramid it's where it needs to happen and they feed out and they get to have the feedback. And I completely understand that these coaches are are doing this as extra. You know, this is not jobs. This is extra time and I get that it's but if you're going to buy into it in that you're there to do the best for that group or for those um young girls to get them to the top then you've bought into that and you want to be able to do the best that you can for those group of players so why not go in with all the right ideas and do it right from the start than having to pick up the pieces later yeah no and it's like when we're talking here now, it sounds like such common sense and it's so easy, but I totally get what you said there that, that like coaches will be thinking of their own group and, and, and that communication piece probably does have to come from the top. But it's yeah. like when you think about it and the common sense nature and you just explained it, it's it's so much better if they were talking or if they were aligned because you're going to get better performances from everybody if, if, you, if you... And if even, that way. you know, everybody's so good at... Um all this online stuff because of COVID. So something as simple as the, the beginning of the year, you set up a Zoom meeting with all the coaches that are involved with all your players. Everybody has to go on silent, whatever. You don't need to create a big debate, but you go through, this is what we see as being the ideal six months for these players. Um, and we hope that you'll all buy into what we're planning out from, you know, it might be from the point of view of, we'd like them to work hard at school camogie this part of the year and, and club camogie this part of the year or whatever it is. And then you could outplay with them. Okay, they're under 16s, for example. We've worked with them for a month now. We feel that the majority of them are lacking or they're not as proficient in this skill, this skill, or, or they don't understand this part of the game. So then you get everybody working on the same thing. So it's a case then when they come into, say, that squad level, yes, you're coaching them in these areas, but they're potentially, you only have them once a week, but potentially they're getting... Uh, coached in those areas twice more in the week, once at club, once at school, and everybody's doing the same thing. Rather than what we found, we we did a follow-up study where we, so we, our first study was singing off the same hymn sheet, and we found out that we needed coherence between you know all the parts of the pathway. Then we went and interviewed the, the girls that were involved to get more insights, and a lot of the information that they were giving us was Yes, okay, we're, they were training a lot and sometimes they, this, the coaches didn't understand what they were doing with other, other coaches. So they were training hard all the time. They were really fatigued. They weren't recovering well enough. Oftentimes playing, you know, 
three matches in two days, that type of thing. But one of the other things that came out that was really interesting was the idea of they're being coached so differently in all the different strands they're involved in. So when my coach in this team really wants me to work on this, but that's not what this coach, what he actually thinks I'm really good at that. And, and he wants me to work on this. And then at, at a county level or, or whatever level it is, they want me to do this. And I just so confused on what I'm supposed to be working on. So when I'm training with this coach, I'll try and show off this element. When I'm training with this coach, I don't need that. I try work on, I show off this or whatever. And it's that whole idea of to and and fro and in their performance, not really knowing where they stand, what they're good at, what they're not good at. Um, whereas if somebody can take ownership of that, and likely that should be whoever's coaching them at the highest level. And if they're able to then communicate that out and hopefully everybody then works off the same thing, you get that player that's being developed in the right direction on the same path, not pinging and ponging way too much from one extreme to the other. Yes, they can't all be coached the exact same way in like black and white, but getting having different coaches coach them the same thing in different manners can maybe help them then to get over challenges, to develop skills and develop in their tactics, that type of thing. No, no, 100% it does. And, and it, it, like you've explained it really simply again. And it sounds like such common sense, as in if one coach is telling you that you're, you're not fit enough and another coach is telling you that you need to work on your skills and another coach is telling you that you, you're great at skills and you're really fit and you just work on your mental game or whatever it may be. So what are you supposed to be thinking? Like it, yeah, you can imagine a teenager yeah. in that scenario thinking, sure, I'm never going to make it. Exactly. And, and yeah, and then the common sense thing in terms of that communication piece, automatically you can have a joined up approach, something so simple as a Zoom call. Okay, uh, Orla is doing really, really well in their skills. Let's all make sure we're bigging her up over the next month or so. And happy days. We're, we're in sort of that alignment again, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, common sense. And the one reason why I don't like this side of it is because it does take time and I get it. And I know, especially in GA and in pretty much every sport in Ireland, it is that volunteer aspect. It is that time aspect. And I completely get that. It's, it's trying to be as savvy as you can be with how you divvy out this information, even having like some online platform that everybody can link in on and everybody then is on the same page and they know what's going on but I just think without the coherence element of it no pathway is going to work because everybody's just being pulled in all these excuse me all these different directions and yes it can you know kids still make it um they still get to the top but they still you know they get there in the end but why can't we all try and work a bit harder to get them there better get them there more efficiently not not so much accelerate them there because sometimes when a kid goes from uh, the youth level to the senior level too quick and they're not ready for it when they're just maybe really really talented sometimes that can can crash and burn as well so but it's just getting everybody on the same page um to try and give kids the best chance they can to get there in the right time if that makes sense yeah no no it makes it makes perfect sense um I want to touch on one other aspect of your research that um, we haven't got to yet, but um, you're also looking at the, the in talent development, you're looking at the research and you're looking at the, the gender, the, there's a data gap or yeah, uh, is that right? Yeah, so we, we start, well, before we started collecting all our data, we looked at talent development research in general um, and what, what the difference was between the data out there in males and the data out there in females. And it was very little in females. Um, now, how how much is needed in the female side of it? Obviously, like it's not just in talent development; it's in physical game. It's in every aspect of sports science, nearly where 
there's just an underrepresentation of females in sport. And the angle that we took from it was, well, if we have all this research out there in pathways and in talent development, that's great. And we obviously know what we're at now because that research is there, but we can't 100% say that it aligns in with uh, females because it hasn't been done. Um, so we just found that females weren't really represented in any element or any strand of, of talent development research. So we were kind of trying to justify why we were doing it. And so now we're trying to provide some research within talent development, within talent development environment, within the, the physical aspects of, I'm doing in hockey, so physical aspects of the female game on a youth level um, in hockey, and then hopefully the psychological side as well, which I still need to get to. But yeah, we just found there's a huge gap in the research that's out there. But popularity of female sport is constantly increasing. I mean, you can see it at the Olympics. It's nearly 50-50 of representation that's at the Olympics. Girls watching, um, or young girls watching the Olympics last month on the TV would have seen as many females as males. So they see that and then they want to take part. But do we have the right structures and resources and setups in female sport if we're not basing it off research in female athletes? We're basing it off research in male athletes. So that was kind of the premise behind that. Um, and just trying to yeah, get the idea out there that we need to use female athletes a lot more to collect data. We can't just assume that the male data fits the females. A hundred percent. And and like as part of this series, we've we've talked to various different people and, and every one of them has highlighted, that particularly at a teenage level, the differences between boys and girls uh, in terms of maturation, in terms of physicality, all sorts. So why would we then just look at the research that's been done on boys and think it's perfect think that it all automatically just applies to girls as well so yeah it, it looks like you're uh you're picking a good gap in the research there to to drill into um and we'll have to have a chat about that again when you get to to the end of it um if someone was just tuning in now and uh, uh they you wanted them to take one takeaway from the conversation we have and so around the, about talent development and about player pathways what would that be it would if it was yeah okay two minutes i would say coaches at the grassroots level need to be aware of the group they're working with and understanding you know which athletes either a want to progress into the elite sphere and then potentially how they're going to help them get there so if you've got a group of athletes that want to progress and you know that they're, they're capable of progressing then you need to be able to give them as much as you can by being involved and understanding what else they're doing. What else are they doing at school level? What else are they doing at their academy level? And then being able to accommodate that, not just thinking you're the only person that can get them to the top. There's a lot of people that are helping them get to the top. So being within a, a conversation with other coaches of how you can help or maybe step back because other people are doing it as well um, and just being a part of the bigger picture. So communication a lot of coherence with all the other coaches that are involved with your players in different environments. I think that's huge. But then the biggest takeaway, I think, is probably just understanding your, your group of players and knowing who's ready for what and when um, and not just fitting them all the same. Yeah, and uh, and again, um, there's been so much common sense spoken today over the last half hour. Um, like that, boiling it back to that simple concept of knowing your players uh, I think it, it's key to what you're talking about, but also to like a, a, nearly every aspect of coaching. So um, I think there's loads of takeaways for people to, to take from today's show. Orla, thanks a million for giving up your time. I know how busy you are. So thanks for joining us.